Great things. We've already experienced some wonderful uh, time just listening to the Lord and singing and worship. So I, I'm just glad you've joined us. And uh, I, I really believe that you'll be glad that you were here today. Um, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, as a church, we've been going through the story. We've been taking a journey from, literally from Genesis. We're going to head to Revelation before it's all over. Uh, and we're, we're learning some great things in this overview of the scriptures. And we're going to pick that back up. Uh, but for today, we're going to take a little break with some special guests that we have with us. And I think you're really going to enjoy uh, meeting them. I, I call your attention again to the info card that you received. On the back of that info card, we always have a space for sermon notes. So if you want to take those out, because you'll be hearing from uh, from our special guests in just a moment. And then at the bottom of that, our connection card, not only does that let us know that you were here and we rejoice that way, but on the back, we also give you opportunities that if during the service, especially during this next uh, speaking part, if the Lord speaks to you or you have make a decision or you have questions or a prayer request, you can jot that down and also put that in the connection uh, box as it passes around today. So I hope you'll keep that that handy. Um, we have special guests today. Some of you uh, had the privilege of meeting one of our guests yesterday. Uh, Mrs. Luann Lyons was our special speaker at our ladies' uh, brunch, so give her a hand for that. And uh, it was a great day yesterday. The, uh, the Lyons are missionaries to Manila, Philippines, and uh, they, uh, they have the privilege, we have the privilege of meeting them again this weekend, and you all had the privilege of seeing that. The event was wonderful yesterday. All the ladies that came seemed to have a great time. We had great leaders. We had some, not only the great speaker, but music. Everything was really good, including some guys in dark pants and white shirts. You guys did a great job yesterday. I just want to thank you all for helping with that. So it was just a great day all around. And uh, so today we just continue with uh, meeting the, uh, the other uh, perhaps better half? No, not the better half. The better half was yesterday. That's right. Today we get the other half of the of the the Lions uh, duo, um, and it, it's a it's a wonderful privilege. The the Lions have been missionaries in the Philippines for over 30 years. Uh, they have been missionaries out of Calvary. They've been a part of our family since the early 2000s. So we're looking at about 15, 16 years. They've been missionaries out of this church, and we've had a privilege of being a part of that ministry. Uh, Dr. Greg Lyons is the CEO and founder of a ministry called Global Surge. Now, you probably didn't hear that the last time he was here. The last time he was here, it was in its opening uh, or beginning stages. It was called Mega City Ministries. And uh, one of the highlights that he was, I know he talked about then, was their youth camp ministry that was starting to, to take some great momentum with how many people there in the Philippines they would have come on a yearly basis. Well, that ministry has now literally exponentially uh, exploded over the last several years. And they rebranded a few years ago to call Global Surge. And you're going to hear more about just what God is doing in that ministry, not only in the Philippines, but around the world. And it's great to just know them. Uh, 2007, my wife and I and, and Stefan, we were part of a missions team that went to the Philippines and worked with the Lions. And uh, they, they worked our tails off. Let's just put it that way. But it was one of the greatest missions trips that we've ever taken. And, and I came away, we, we knew the Lions from before, but I came away from there realizing this family is one of the most hardworking, passionate, visionary, missionary couples that I have met in my life. And, and it's a privilege that they're a part of Calvary Baptist Church. So I'm glad that we get to be a part of their ministry. So today, would you help welcome, please, our missionary and my friend, Dr. Greg Lyons. Please, Greg. Uh, share a little bit about what God is doing in uh, the Philippines and now as he has expanded our ministry to other countries in Southeast Asia. I remember when your pastor and his wife and Stefan came over and uh, 
visited the Philippines, and I tell you what, I put on the very best infomercial that I could to get Stefan over as a missionary, and Carlos stole her away, you know. <laughs> and so I'm back for another try, okay? Uh, but uh, uh, we remember that. It was just a wonderful visit. And uh, we, saw some, we saw God do some incredible things even while, uh, while your pastor was there. And I've been, I've been pushing uh, your pastor to plan a trip from Calvary. Would you like that? Boy, that didn't sound too good. Boy, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to ask at the end of the message and see if that does any better uh, there. I've, uh, I, uh, I've been introduced several ways, you know, for many years I was, my father is a missionary, so I got introduced as Boyd Lyon's son, you know, and then my brother became notable in, in the, the, the network of churches that we and I became Eddie's brother, and recently I've been introduced because my, my sons are missionaries as Luke's father, and today I'm Luann's husband, you know, <laughs> and so... Uh, I'm glad she showed up, and you know we could do this. And uh, actually, I am a tagalog. She got the invite, and I asked Steve if I could stick around for Sunday. So this is really how it happened. You thought it was really a big gig, but no, it's just kind of have to have to have Greg because he's around. All right. So anyway, I do want. I did want to come back and thank you for the years of faithful support that you all have been sending, and the partnership uh, that that we share. You know, missionaries could not do what we do without faithful churches like Calvary Baptist Church. Now, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world of missions. There's special projects and different things. But the truth of the matter is, the backbone of missions is really the churches like your church who faithfully support missionaries like us that keeps us on the field. The opportunities and the gains that I will share with you today actually really has been the hand of God opening doors because we, we have lived on the field and we have given our lives there. When we went to the mission field many years ago, I was just a young man in my mid-twenties. Uh, Luann and I had two children. The oldest was four years old. Now it's 30 years later. We've, we've grown. We've had, we have six children. Uh, and, and this year, we celebrate 34 years of child rearing. And <laughs> the last one leaves the house, you know. And I tell you what, any empty nesters out there? You know, is it as fun as what everybody says? No? They come back? That's what I heard, you know, after you get rid of them. Well, uh, I guess that's the way it happens. So, Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 17 to 20. And while you're turning there, just a few things in the back, on the table in the back, uh, is our prayer card. So be sure to pick up one of these and remember to pray for us. These are magnetic, by the way, so make sure you get one. You just go on your way home, stop at Walmart, buy the magnet, super glue it to the back, boom, you got your <laughs> magnetic prayer card. Then I'm going to be talking about our camp ministry today, and here's a card and a video link on the back, and then Baptist Bible College Asia that God has just grown through the years, a video on the back there. And then lastly, uh, we have some brochures about an internship program that we, uh, we do in the Philippines, and we invite young people, uh, seniors in high school that are getting ready to go to college, uh, couples, young couples, even uh, our, our uh, most senior intern was 62 years old. Can you believe that? She was a widow, and uh, she came to me at a church in Kansas and said, when I was 12 years old, God called me to be a missionary. 
And then life happened. 50 years has passed. You think God could still use me? So she came over as an intern. Her name was Colette, Ma Colette McGuire. She had a master's degree in education. She came and taught in our Bible college and celebrated, what, 71 years on the mission, went 71st birthday on the mission field and had, a, had a, a new career serving the Lord. So it doesn't really matter what age, but we have two internships available. The uh, regular internship where you stay in the Philippines and serve with our team, and then the Asian invasion where you get to visit five countries uh, in, in the summer. So if you're interested in that, come by, see me afterwards, grab one of those brochures and We'll be happy to, to help you. I want to tell a story. This was not part of my message, but I, I just feel it's important to say here. Uh, I call it an insignificant event. My father is a missionary. Uh, Boyd Lyons has been a missionary now for over 50 years in the Philippines. So I grew up in the home of a missionary. My father comes from a little town in Iowa called Mark, Iowa. Anybody ever heard of Mark, Iowa? It's a suburb of, Mark, by the way, has 35 people in it, okay? Uh, it's a suburb of Bloomfield that has 2,500 people in it, okay? And it's near Ottumwa that has about 16,000 people there near the Missouri-Iowa uh, line. And my father grew up on a farm uh, there in Mark, Iowa, my, my grandparents lived in the, in the town of Mark. My, uh, you're going to date yourself if you know what I'm talking about on this next comment. My grandmother ran the switchboard. Anybody remember that? You're old. Okay, if you, if you remember that, just, can I just say? And my dad was born in the home where the switchboard was in Mark, Iowa, and that was significant because my dad was actually the 35th resident of Mark, Iowa. And in those days, when you got 35 people in your town, you got a speed limit. And my dad brought the speed limit to Mark, Iowa. There were three things in Mark, Iowa. There was a filling station that my granddad ran, a, a grocery store, and Mark Baptist Church. And on Sunday, farmers would come in, they would worship, and they would celebrate the Lord at Mark Baptist Church. It was just a, a farm community there, not a large ministry. And one day, one Sunday, a 16-year-old boy that nobody noticed came to church, pestered by his grandmother, who was a devout Christian, and came and heard the message, walked forward. And during those days, when you came forward, the pastor would leave the, 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 the stage, the pulpit, and would actually deal with the person who came forward in the front and uh, the pastor dealt with my father, Pastor Harold Jane was his name, and uh, led my father to the Lord, and nobody noticed. It was just another 16-year-old boy off of a farm, insignificant, but God noticed. And on that day, something happened. A legacy began. My father got called to preach. He went down, left the farm. He was the only child in my grandparents' home. And he left uh, Iowa, moved to Springfield, Missouri, went to Baptist Bible College, and met Donna Chrysler from Detroit, Michigan. Big city woman colliding with farm boy from Iowa, you know. That collision uh, that occurred, uh, you know, was, resulted in the Lyons family. Now, if you've ever met my mom, and I, I don't know if she's ever been here, but my mom from Detroit was bling 
before bling was bling, okay? I mean, big hair, am I right? Big hair, gold, all the way down to her shoes. I mean, she is there all the time, all in every way. And uh, a great, uh, a great lady. And they got together and they began to serve the Lord. My dad planted a church in Syracuse, New York, worked in a church in Georgia, then became pastor at a church in Bartow, Florida, outside of Tampa. Was there for four years and uh, had three children. My brother, my older brother, myself, and my sister were born in Bartow, Florida. <clears throat> and my dad, leading this little Baptist church, had a passion for missions and held a missions conference every year that he was there. And uh, during one of the years, he had the missionary come in. And during those days, they had services every night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, and Sunday. And uh, nobody in the church moved. Everybody was very cold. And Sunday morning during the invitation, only one person went forward, the pastor of the church, my father. And he surrendered to be a missionary that day. Picked up the three kids and my mom, moved to the Philippines in 1965, and he served now for 50 years. You know, at that insignificant event way back in, in uh, Mark, Iowa, I said a legacy began because from that point, God began to flow the gospel through generations. My brother is a pastor, was a missionary in the Philippines for 20 years. I'm a missionary been a missionary for 30 years. My sister uh, and her husband, her husband works in our ministry in Metro Manila and serves the Lord. I have six children, three married. They are missionaries. My brother has five children. One has downs. The other four are all involved in ministry. My sister's uh, uh, children are all committed Christians and, and involved in ministry. I tell you what, the grandchildren don't have a, they don't have a chance. They're already locked in. Can I tell you? The pressure is on but from that little significant event that nobody noticed in Mark, Iowa, the gospel has flowed, and we recently counted up to over a million people. Why do I tell you that story? It doesn't really matter where your church is located, how big your congregation is. You never know when one Sunday morning a 16-year-old teenager is going to walk in the door, going to walk down, going to respond, fill out a card, and God will put his hand on him or her, and the gospel will flow for generations. That's why you do ministry, because the world can be reached with those kind of people and our commitment to it. Luke 5, 17 to 20. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiving, given you. Have you ever been in traffic, gone to St. Louis or Chicago? Anybody got into traffic in those areas? Huh? You know, I live in Metro Manila. Metro Manila is a city of 21.5 million people. All right, huge, 50,000 people every square mile. I grew up in the city. I love the city. I love concrete. We were driving out here, by the way. I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of underdeveloped land out here. I mean, you could put condos out here and fill this place up, all right? And uh, in Manila, traffic is legendary. There are three traffic death nails that I call them. One is uh, 
uh, every Friday is, is bad traffic day because everybody who gets paid every week is bad, you know, is out buying groceries on Friday. When Friday falls on the 15th or the 30th, then everybody who gets paid every week and everybody who gets paid twice a month is out buying groceries, you know, on that day, and it's a bad traffic day. And the third traffic death nail is that when it's Friday, the 15th or the 30th, and it rains. You know, and we have typhoons that come through, floods. I mean, we, I have gotten into a, a traffic jam that's lasted literally eight hours on a trip that should have taken me 45 minutes, okay? I mean, when you have to buy gas in the middle of the traffic jam, that's a long traffic jam, okay? Now, when we get into traffic, I think we go through some kind of a metamorphosis, little little uh, process in our life. Uh, do you remember the last time you, you drove up, you know, to the big city and, and you, got, you, got, you got in there? You know, what was the first emotion that came over you when you got into that? Huh? Rage? Oh, my goodness. Okay. You know, <clears throat> frustration. You know, you're a little upset. Your blood pressure goes up, you know. How many ever you ever felt that? How many, you know? Anybody? Okay. And then you remember you're a Christian. Okay. And then so you turn on the Christian radio, you know, you begin to sing along, you remember what the pastor has said, you know, God is good all the time, you know, uh, God will make a way, he parted the Red Sea, surely he could part the traffic for me, those kind of things, you know. And then, and then you, you know, you sit there and, and the traffic still doesn't move, okay? And then you get beyond all the Christian stuff and you get back to being frustrated, am, am I right? Have you been there? And then you do the inch move. Have you done the inch move? You inch one way, you inch the other way, you know, as if that's, you know, really going to help you get anywhere, you know. Uh, you know, and you, you get frustrated. You're, you're really concerned. Maybe there's a wreck up there, you know. Surely, I hope, hope nobody's hurt, but get the cars off the road, you know. I mean, let's go. And uh, then you start looking at the shoulder. Isn't that right? Okay, can I get to the next exit? You look over your shoulder to see if there's a policeman around, you know, and then you, you keep going. And ultimately, you, you, you go through this whole process, but if you have to get there, maybe you're catching a plane, maybe it's a, a, a job interview, maybe it's something very, very important, and, and you just get into that traffic mode, you get so frustrated, you finally just get to a level that I call the whatever-it-takes mentality, that you just kind of decide that I'm going to gut it out. It doesn't matter how long, how hard, how frustrating I'm going to get there. That whatever-it-takes mentality. Can I say this? If we're going to reach the world today, we need to get to that mentality. That whatever-it-takes mentality. These men in this story had that whatever-it-takes mentality. That mentality that said, you know, we have a friend who is in desperate need of the gospel. This is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. You know, because it's just, just raw uh, feeling that these men were concerned about their friend that was in desperate need. And they knew that they, that, that they, they needed to get him to Jesus. And so they just did whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. I see four things in, these, in the lives of these men that I want you to, to take a look at and, and hopefully by the end of the message embrace in your own life. The first thing that I see is they had a one-way mentality. I mean, if you notice, you know, they just get their friend, they make a beeline for Jesus, and they said, you know, Jesus can change this guy's life. Let's get him to Jesus. You know, the, the Bible says it in this way, John 14, 6, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, and, and, and the truth is today that Jesus can still change someone's life. It doesn't matter how bad they are. I mean, it doesn't matter how much they have sinned, how much they have messed up their life. It doesn't matter. It, the very, the baddest person, I know that's not good English, but the baddest person you know can be changed by Jesus Christ. 
I mean, that person, uh, you know, that, uh, that, 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 you know, when, when, you, when you confirm for Christmas and that one family member confirms. Have you, anybody have a family member like that, you know? When they call up, yeah, we're going to be there, and you're like, oh, great, great, yeah, yeah. How many have a family member like that? Raise your hand, okay? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you know what that means? You are that family member. All right, you know, that's, that's it. Right. You know, that worst person, the kid down the street that you don't want to meet, that you don't want your, your kids to become friends with, that worst person, you know what the answer to that person is? It's Jesus Christ. In the city where we live, Metro Manila, we work a lot with inner city kids and gang kids and drug addict kids and kids that come from, from just difficult situations. And I have seen incredible radical, revolutionary change in people's lives because they encountered Jesus. These men had that one-way mentality. There is always hope. Second, they had a my-job mentality. I mean, a tacit reading of this passage, you will find that there wasn't a whole lot of discussion. Their friend had a need. Their friend needed Jesus. They took the responsibility themselves. They grabbed their friend, and off they went. They didn't try to get anybody. They didn't delegate. They didn't do it. No, no, they said, this is our friend. This is my job, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get our friend to Jesus. That's, that's the mentality they had. And if we're going to reach our world for Jesus Christ, we need to embrace that one, that, that my job mentality, that, 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 that understanding that, that God in his divine plan places us in positions and in localities and in neighborhoods with a purpose, and it is our job to get the gospel to everybody around us. Acts 1 verse 8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what that simply is saying is that it is our responsibility, it is our job to get the gospel to the people around us and in the proximity around where we live in, in, in our country and around the world. And it is our responsibility to do that all at the same time. You support missionaries, you send us to the Philippines and other missionaries around the world, and that's incredible, and you need to do that. But do not forsake the responsibility that you have uh, around here in Taylorville and the surrounding area. I don't know, are there any lost people around here? You know, I mean, are there any people that need Jesus whose lives are really spiraling out of control? And, you know, and it is your job. I have to depend on you to reach these people with the gospel of Jesus Christ the same way that you would depend on a missionary to do the work in another country. You know, sometimes I think that we, we, we don't see the lost people around us, you know, uh, and I, we have to be a little bit more intentional. I call it walking across the driveway. I mean, when you embrace your responsibility uh, to, to reach out and to take this, this is my job. I mean, I mean, when you buy gas, how many, how many of you buy gas and you pay at the pump? How many of you pay at the pump, okay? A lot of people do that, you know, you go in. They made it so you don't even need to see anybody. You don't talk to anybody. You know, you go, have you ever seen people at the gas station? They don't even look at each other, you know. You're looking at is that guy looking at me? You know, he's trying to get my credit card number. You know, I don't know, you know, that kind of a deal. You know, why not walk across the driveway? Why not live your, your life in such a way that you're so passionate about the lost that you change even the way you buy gas? Maybe you, you pull up and instead of, of saving the amount of time of, of, of walking into the store, you decide to go in and pay. You know, if there's a real person inside, 
He re there really is somebody there. You know, and, and it maybe someone who's on their first job. Maybe it's a, a teenager. Maybe it's somebody who's trying to make ends meet. Somebody that's picking up a second job to, to just to get by. And, and so you walk in there. And let's just say that the guy's name is Bob, okay? And you walk in there, and, and Bob knows that you buy gas there all the time. You know, he sees your car and whatnot, you know. And, and so you go in there, and you say, hey, Bob, I'm Greg. I'm, I'm, I'm here to pay for my gas. And he's like, okay, why didn't you pay at the pump, you know? I mean, we got his credit card reader. You don't know, it's okay, God, I just wanted to pay you. And you meet Bob. Then you realize that, you know, that Bob is a lost person, someone who doesn't know Jesus. And so the next time you buy gas, you don't, you know, look at how much gas costs. How many, you ever, you ever compare gas prices, you know? It's like one penny cheaper across the street. You go across the street, you know, to save that one penny, you know. And so, but in this case, you want to reach Bob, you're trying to build Bob. And so you go ahead and splurge, you know, 15 gallons. So you, you, you're going to spend the extra 15 cents, you know, to buy, uh, you know, the gas at, this, at, at Bob's station. And you go in and you buy gas there. And you realize that, that Bob is, is a lost person. And so you're going in, you're taking all this effort to somehow build a relationship with Bob. Maybe you would be so bold that the next time you bought gas, you only bought half a tank. Why? So you'd have to go back more often. And so you go back to the same gas station at the same time when Bob's working, and you begin to develop that friendship with Bob at the gas station who is lost and most likely desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you're not buying gas. You're living your life. It's my job. It's my responsibility. And so one day when you go in and you see Bob, he doesn't look so good that day. And you say, Bob, what's going on? You don't look good today. And he says, yeah, my wife and I are having trouble. I think she's going to leave me. And you say, you know, Bob, I go to Calvary Baptist Church. Would you mind if some of us at the church pray for you? Maybe you could come to one of our small groups. Maybe you could come to our Christmas thing. Maybe we could encourage your wife a little bit. And you've turned now buying gas into an intentional lifestyle of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what missionaries do. That's what we do in the Philippines. You know, I, when I was here before, I talked about our camp ministry that had just gotten, was getting off the ground. Our ministry in Metro Manila is, uh, our main church is next to a very large high school. Uh, it was at one time the largest high school on the planet, 42,000 teenagers in one high school. If you can imagine that. I mean, that's a bunch of hormonally imbalanced people all in one place, okay? God is surely not up in heaven kind of surprised that this big high school is there. And I remember when we moved to that location, it really wasn't my plan. It wasn't where I wanted to be. Uh, I had other plans for the church, but God just kind of shut all these doors, and I kind of followed him kicking and screaming. And when I, we got to the place, I started prayer walking that street and found this big high school, the Rizal High School, and found out that it was the largest in the world, that it was in the Guinness Book of World Records that year, and, uh, and that, that there was no ministry that was targeting this high school. And so we decided that maybe God brought us there to reach that high school. And so we began. We began reaching in every way that we could. 
We began a student center, the Youth Jam Student Center that now operates. We have over 400 students that go to the student center on a regular basis. We began uh, doing things on the campus, doing drug prevention, everything we could do to try to get, penetrate that high school and to reach the young people and their families with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there were some young people that we couldn't get to come to church. Some young people that when you invite to church, they would kind of sneer at you, laugh at you, that they would kind of, uh, you know, just, just shrug off the invitation. The kind of young people that, that thought that church was like weird and Christians were kind of weird. And anyway, they were doing the cool stuff. They were doing the drugs, the alcohol, the, you know, all the kind of stuff. And I remember that when I would prayer walk that, uh, that area, uh, when the school would get out, I would see these young people, the rough kids, the gang kids that came out of the high school, and they would go a couple of blocks away into the to the crack houses and the, uh, the beer houses, and uh, uh, they would just do things that would, would, were destroying their life. And they had no hope. These lost kids that nobody wanted, I mean, the school didn't want them. They were trouble there. The, the government didn't want them. They were the usual suspects when they were a crime. More than likely, they were involved in the crime. I mean, the, they, they came from broken families. They came even from worse than broken families. They came from shattered families where you could not put the pieces back together, and nobody cared about these young people. And I kept seeing them, and my heart kept stirred, and I said, you know, these are precious souls. We have got to do something to get the gospel to them. So we couldn't get them to come to church. They wouldn't come to any kind of program that we'd had connected. So we decided to come up with an idea, and we decided to do a camp, a camp that was for lost kids, an evangelistic camp, a camp that uh, was so much fun that even a lost kid would want to go to, okay? That, uh, a camp that was so much fun that even if, if you came and you didn't get saved, you would want to come back again because you had such a good time, you know, that kind of a camp. A camp that had no uh, rules and expectations from the lost kid, that, that all of the responsibility of the camp fell on, the, uh, fell on our shoulders, and our responsibility to be able to, to get the gospel to them. In fact, a camp that, that, w- that was full of lost kids. In fact, so we started this camp. It was a big experiment. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but missionaries, your missionaries are experimenting right now, and they're not telling you what they're doing, okay? You know, and uh, you, you, do that, you, don't, you don't do that. And then, but if it goes good, you write the prayer letter the very next day, okay? And if it goes bad, you forget it. You never mention it again, all right? And so we decided to experiment with this camp. Our goal was to take 150 kids to camp. That first year it cost $20 to take a kid to camp in Manila. And uh, so I needed to raise 3000 bucks, and I didn't have the money. And so I th- I, I'm going to call pastors. I'm going to ask them for money. You know, every, another thing about missionary, every missionary has a list of soft-hearted pastors, okay? <laughs> Steve's on my list, all right? <clears throat> These guys will give you money for ministry, okay? And so I was calling pastors, and I needed 10 pastors to give me 300 bucks each. And so I, I remember calling one guy up, and, and I began to explain what we were doing. And he says, now, Greg, I don't even understand what you're trying to do. He says, but, you know, I love you. He says, I'll, help, I'll give you 200 bucks if you let me off the phone. I said, can't do it. It's got to be 300, buddy. You know, and I pushed him, you know. I know that was shameless, but it was for the kids, okay? And I got the 300 bucks, and, and we got the money together. That first camp, I'll never forget it. The day camp came, we had 176 kids that showed up for camp. 80% of them lost. 79 got saved that first year. It was incredible. The next year, we thought, could we do a little bit more? And so we began to partner with other churches, raise some more money. Our goal set our goal for 500 kids. The Rawlings Foundation had just completed a campsite in the Philippines, and it was their first year. And so we, we, got, we got a hold of them, and we decided to use that camp. And we took 570 kids the second year of camp. Saw 249 saved that year. The year after that, we set our goal for 1,000. We took 1,700 kids. 
we saw over 800 of them come to know Jesus Christ. The year after that, we went to 2,700. We went to 5,200 kids the year after that. We realized that there was more than one week in the summer. I don't know if you know that, you know, that you could have, like, camp every week, you know. And so we started doing more and more camps. We lost control about then. Some businessmen came in, decided to help invest with what we were doing, partner with the churches that were giving, matching the donations that were giving. We learned to do camp a little bit better, a little bit more efficient, and, and, and God continued to bless. We went from 5,200 the next year to 7,800 kids, saw over 4,000 saved. The year after that, we topped 10,000. We had 12,840 kids that came to camp. It has just gone way beyond what we ever imagined. It was just the hand of God that said, it's time to reach some people, and we've got a willing group of people that will go with us, and God just moved. The camps went over 25,000, and for the past few years, we have been able to reach over 100,000 young people in one year with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's good. I brought a quick video to show. Would you like to see what camp looks like in, in the Philippines? A quick video of camp 2016. This year, this is what happened at camp. Forty-eight thousand two hundred and twenty-five young people came to know Jesus Christ as a result of this year's camp. God is good. Can I say this? Calvary Baptist Church 
has had a part in every soul saved this year because of our partnership. When we get to heaven, we're going to have a party, okay? You going to be there? I hope so, you know. When you get there, look me up. I'll be there, all right? I'll be that handsome guy in the corner, okay, with a bunch of Filipinos that made it to heaven because of your giving. That's because you've embraced that my job mentality. These men had that. Not only a one-way mentality, a my job mentality, they had an overcomer mentality. I mean, read the passage. What happened? You know, they, they, they got their friend. They take him to Jesus. They show up at the house. The house is crowded. They can't get in. Now, we don't, we don't, you know, we don't like crowds. Am I right? I mean, everybody, you know, the United States has their own personal space. If you just look at the way you're seated here today. Everybody's got a little space. You want to make someone uncomfortable? Scoot over. You know, I mean, that's, that's all you need to do. And so these guys, they showed up. It's crowded. What do they do? What their options? Let's check Jesus's website. See what he has the next day. You know, see if it's kind of a low day. No, no, no. They didn't do that. They crawled up on the house and tore the roof apart and put their friend down. I mean, they were overcomers. Can I say this? Sometimes I think that we're, we're a little weak in this area when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to telling people about Jesus Christ. I mean, have you ever thought about what it takes, you know, to, to take you out of the game of evangelism? I mean, is it somebody you work with or somebody you know, and all they have to say is, listen, I don't talk about politics and religion. And you say, okay. I mean, are we that easy? I mean, is that all we need? I'm not going to talk about it. I mean, you're going you're gonna to let their soul go without the knowledge of Jesus Christ simply because they don't want to talk about it? I mean, when can we be over, overcomers? You know, there's this, this Staples uh, office store. They have this button, that was easy. Have you ever seen that? You know, I've got one on my desk. You just hit it, all the problems go away, you know. Can I tell you what? The devil has another button. It's the I gotcha button, Okay. And the devil knows where your secret sin is and where your weakness is. And every time you start to share the gospel, you start to go down and take the risk of taking another step in ministry and, and committing your extra time to doing something for the Lord, the devil will just hammer on that button and try to take you out of the game. I mean, you know, how many of you have ever, now be honest, okay, nobody lie here. How many of you have ever had an argument or a fight with your wife or husband on the way to church? Anybody ever? Okay, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, wasn't today, okay. Uh, you know, I mean, and then, and then you know, you're, you're pulling up here and you're like, okay, okay, we're almost at church. Okay, okay, babe, babe. You know, you, know, you get ready, you pull in the parking lot and you practice your smile, you know, and, and you come in the door together and everybody says, Hi. oh, great, you know, you know, and you were like pulling each other's, you know, hair out in the car. You know, you, anybody's ever done that, you know? Come on, why is it that the kids, and I don't know about your kids, my kids may be odd, I don't know, but why is it the kids that Saturday night and Sunday morning, they seem to be the naughtiest of all week? Anybody got kids like that? Don't point, okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. Oh boy, okay. You know, I mean, why is it that that happens, you know, uh, just on the weekend? You know, you know what's going on? The devil is trying to take you out. So you come to church, and you're like, the music's too loud, it's too cold, too hot, you know, the carpet doesn't look right. You know, and it's really nothing about that. It's all about the devil hitting your button. When are we going to say to the devil, not today, not today, you are not taking me out of the game today. I don't care how hard it is, I'm going to get the gospel to somebody. 
I'm going to do something for God. I don't care how hard. Do we really think that getting the gospel to people was supposed to be easy? It's never been easy. It's a battle. It's a war. Satan is fighting hard, and we must be overcomers to do it. When you give to missions, it doesn't mean that, you know, I hear all the stories about, you know, you give, you give to missions and all of a sudden your income goes up twice as much. You know, it happens to every, I hear, everybody's ever heard testimonies like that, you know? Doesn't happen to me, you know? I tell you what, I keep looking for that extra $100 that blows across the gas, the gas station pump, you know? Well, I'm, it doesn't happen to me. You know, I just learned to give it to God because that's what I need to do. We just have to be overcomers. You know, our team took the camps to uh, a country uh, called Pakistan a few years back. This is how it happened. We had a, a, a pastor who had, uh, from Pakistan that was trained under my father's work that came and sought us out in Manila. He was a Pakistani pastor, Pastor Irfan. And he said, uh, he said listen, I heard about your camps. He says, would you, would you bring the camps to Pakistan? Now, I don't know if you know about this. Pakistan is not like on the top 10 tourist list, okay? You know, that's, nobody's really going. Flights are very open to fly into Pakistan. A lot of seats you can buy on there, you know? And so when he said that to me, being the great spiritual person I was, I said, no, no, Pakistan, no. And he goes, he goes, no, no, I think, I said, no, we don't work with Muslims. We're, we're, you know, we're, he says, oh, no, I think it would work. I says, oh, no, 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 I just don't know if it, he says, yeah, the young people in Pakistan are the same as here. You know, they just need the gospel. And, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. He says, you're afraid. I said, I am not afraid. Is it safe there? You know, I mean, and he said, why are you asking me this question? He says, I said, I got to tell Luann something, you know, you know, I got to tell the wife, you know, is it safe or not? She's going to ask. And he says, well, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. He says, are you in God's will? Now, come on. That's like the nuclear question. What are you going to say? No, I'm blatantly out of God's will. You know, of course I'm in God's will. He said, why don't you stop asking me all these questions and why don't you pray about it? Oh. Don't you, those kind of people just kind of, mm, I kind of, mm. and I said, okay, okay. The truth of the matter is, I didn't need to pray about it. God had opened a door. And so we got our team together, and we went into Pakistan. I tell you what, that changed my life. To walk with the very few Christians that are in Pakistan, in a country where you are hated, every day simply because you believe in Jesus Christ, where your children are picked on every day simply because you believe in Jesus Christ. When I walked with the believers in Pakistan, I felt so ashamed. I felt like I was such just a shallow Christian that didn't understand what commitment was. And so we took our team of Filipinos into Pakistan and we held camps for the first time. About six years ago is when we did this. First time, uh, a set of camps that we had uh, 800 and ki 841 kids, if I'm not mistaken, that came to the camps, a series of four camps over a week, and we saw 189 of them get saved in Pakistan. It was incredible. Yes, give it up for God. I mean, and, they, and, and, and the next year we went back, we took over 2,000 kids. This year, April, I was in Pakistan with our team. We have now planted three churches in Pakistan as a result of the camps. We took 11,000 kids to camp this year and saw 5,000 saved in Pakistan. 
That's overcoming. Can I tell you that? You have a part in that as well. I mean, not, a, not very many people even want to go to Pakistan. By the way, we're going back next year. If you want to help, uh, you, can, you, can, you, can, you come over to the Philippines. We'll try to get you in through, through our contacts. Uh, you know, we, we, we're raising money to take kids. My goal, this is a, a, a huge goal, okay? My goal is to take 50,000 kids to camp in Pakistan. And I'm asking God for $350,000, $7 a kid in Pakistan. I know that's crazy, but they need the gospel. And we need to get the gospel to them. Overcomer mentality. You know what was wonderful about that? Is that when, when the gospel is shared through the lips of fellow Asians to Pakistanis, it is more well received than from a Westerner who carries all the political baggage with us. And it's so cool to see young people who got saved at camp in Manila flying into Pakistan and replicating what they did in another country. That's an overcomer mentality. Our team has said this. Give us the hard places. We'll let other people do the easy places. Give us the hard places. And you might say, is it dangerous? Yes, it is. We walk around with bodyguards. Uh, they really like me when I, when I come with, them, with our team. The team has said, Pastor Greg, we, need, we like you to come with us. And I said, well, why, why do you like me to come with you? Because, you know, if they get you, that's like 100 points. You know, if they get us, it's like five points. You know, so you're like moving the target, you know. And I'm like, thank you, you know. <laughs> and yes, and the government knows what we are doing. They don't like it. But they do have actual constitution of, uh, constitutional freedom of religion in Pakistan. And we can do this there. And God is blessing. The overcomer mentality. Not only a one-way mentality, not only a my job mentality, not only an overcomer mentality, but a reward mentality. These men knew. They knew that Jesus would change their friend's life. They knew it. When they began, they knew it. They knew it if they could just get their friend to Jesus everything would change. How do I know that? Jesus says it. It says it in verse 20. When he saw their faith. Whose faith? The faith of the four men. They believed. They knew, of course, the man who was healed had faith. But Jesus noted, you know, it says in the Bible, Luke says it, that, that they noted that the four men, when Jesus saw their faith, he says to the man, your sins are forgiven you. Incredible. And in fact, if you think about it from a practical point of view, they lowered their friend down in front of Jesus, right? They had no plan to get him out. I mean, they, just, they knew it. When you know the end game, you play it differently. Isn't that right? When you know you're going to win, I mean, when you T-voed the football game, you know, and, you, and, and, and you're hoping nobody says anything to you, and then on the way out, you know, somebody says, hey, they won, you're like, oh, you watch the game anyway, and you're not worried if they're behind at halftime because you know the end game. Can I tell you? We know the end game. You know what the end game is? Jesus changes lives. You get your friend to Jesus, Jesus will change his life. You, get, you communicate the gospel to your friend. You get, the, you get the gospel around the world through your missionaries. Lives will be changed. We should not be surprised. It is the reward mentality. God will bring the harvest. 
One of the ways that we get to see the reward in the Philippines is through our Bible college. You know, we, you saw in the video that we, 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 we motivate them to be baptized. We follow them up with discipleship. And then we encourage those who get saved to enroll, uh, you know, if they feel called in, in the, into a college. So we launched a Bible college, Baptist Bible College Asia, 16 years old. God has blessed it. It has grown to over 1,500 students. Uh, and and uh, it, it's just an incredible thing to see that God is raising up a new army uh, of, of believers and, and trained people to do that. I brought a quick video of the Bible college and the graduation of 2016. 80% of the kids in the Bible college are kids that got saved at camp and that are now training for the gospel. If we could play that last video. all around the world, I believe that God is going to do incredible things here in Taylorville, Illinois. You know, I, I've enjoyed your service so much. Even, you know, before I, I got up to speak, I was sitting there, standing there, thinking, everybody in this city ought to want to come to this church. I mean, what God is doing here is unique. And so I want to just challenge you today to do whatever it takes to stretch, to, to go that extra mile, to walk across the driveway, to give your pastor a problem. And the problem is, fill up all the seats in the auditorium and make him preach three times every Sunday, all right? Yeah, let's let him do that. He would do that. I mean... God has not put your church here in this city just to be another normal, common church. God has a great plan for you. God has assembled people 
committed people, a team, and I believe that God has great things in store. But it will only happen if you commit to the whatever-it-takes mentality, the one-way mentality, the my-job mentality, the overcomer mentality, and the reward mentality. Would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Greg, I need that kind of mentality in my life. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and kind of become humdrum, kind of become routine, and you would say, Greg, I needed this this morning. I need to find my Bob. I need to find that worst person that I know, and I need to get the gospel to that person. And you would say, Greg, would you pray for me? I want a piece of that action. If you're here this morning and you're willing to embrace the whatever-it-takes mentality, would you just raise your hand and let me pray with you this morning? Yes, there are some. God bless you. Others, yes. Thank you. Thank you. All over the auditorium. Thank you. Father God, I thank you for this great church, this great pastor, and what you're doing here. I sense that there is something uncommon here. That you're just about ready to break this thing open even bigger than what they think. So Lord, I pray that you would rally your, your family here to reach the people who are desperately lost in this area. Bless them as they give to missions and as they reach out and continue to use them here. In Jesus' name we pray. Their heads bowed and our eyes closed. Let me invite you to just stand with us for a moment. As we stand together and we consider what God has said to us today, I want to give you an opportunity just to spend some time talking to Him. Of course, you can pray right where you're standing. That's fantastic. But I have a feeling God's been speaking to some of us today, and maybe it would be a, a great step for us to just come here to the, the front and just commit that whatever-it-takes mentality to Him. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and we've talked a lot about knowing Christ and knowing a change of life and maybe that's why God brought you here today because you'd, you'd want to know what it means to truly know him as your personal savior. So Chris is going to begin to sing in just a moment. As he does, I invite you just to pour out your heart as God has led upon what led you to do and if that means coming forward, just meet me right here and I make sure I have someone to pray with you if you'd like or you can just come and pray here at the front and let's Let's truly commit that as a church. Whatever it takes, God, we're going to do what you've called us to do. As Chris begins to sing, let's, let's take this time to pray to him today. Where there was death, you brought life, Lord. 